And uh, we welcome Charlie into the bat around. Charlie, how are you this morning? I'm great. Well, how are you guys? We're, we're good. We're doing good. How's your voice, Charlie? <laughs> uh, fully recovered, 100%. That's, that's good. I, well, the first question right off the top is, what was that like to call the final out of the World Series and to bring a world championship to Washington, D.C.? Still thinking about that. You know, how, how when you get to that moment, what you think about, what's going through your mind, because you're still ultimately trying to describe a baseball game and the end of a baseball game that does have a lot of meaning and you know, you're trying not to think too much about what you're going to say so you don't mess up what you are saying at the moment. But, you know, at, at that point, even earlier in the day, you're thinking about, well, it, it, there's no other game where you could say, this is it. This is the last game. Somebody's going to win tonight and be the world champion, and somebody isn't. The season's ending that night in Houston. So that was unlike any other game that you could ever do because that was it. So things do cross your mind that if they win, that you think you'd want to say, and then things that you think that you should say to to mark a moment uh, for the for the franchise, and then you know you incorporate that into what's actually happening at the moment, and then hope that it all comes out of your mouth in some coherent form that people could actually understand. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you went through. Well put, well put, Charlie. You went through uh, the World Series, obviously, and all the postseason, and then you get to the parade through downtown Washington, and you had a great moment because you got up to the microphone, and all of the fans that sit below us in the press box area, uh, down in the in the three and the four hundred level, they they all whenever the Nats score a run no matter whether it's one or four, if somebody hits a grand slam, it goes four times. Everybody yells, you know, you know, Nats, 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 that kind of thing. And and and, and I thought you did that with the crowd, and, and they really got into it. And it was just a big, big celebration. Can you talk a little bit about that feeling and, and, and just, you know, kind of communicating with the fans there? Yeah, I thought about, you know, doing something different. Uh, the speeches that – that were ahead of me, you know, were kind of what the typical speeches where they talked about different things that happened in the season. And, uh, and my job was to speak before a video about Davey Martinez and then introduce Davey. And so a lot of Bob Carpenter went before me, Dave went before me and I'm like, dang, I mean, they, they mentioned all the things that happened in the season there. What am I going to say? So, <laughs> So I said, I don't want to repeat what they said. So I, I had to think of something, and I said, you know what? The, the, the NATS 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 started in the early years at Nationals Park, right underneath us, and we're always on the air talking about what just happened while they're doing it, and you could hear it. We may mention them in the gallery level. That started with a few people, and you know, eventually they they painted those letters on the wall in the gallery level that you can see from center field looking in, and. Uh, so I just thought it'd be neat. Hey, we've never gotten to do that chant with anybody. So, hey, there might be a million people in front of us. Let's try it now. <laughs> that would be the first time we ever get to do it. Let's try it with about a million of our of our uh, of our best friends, so to speak. And so I did that. And then uh, after the video, I got to introduce Davey, which was kind of cool. And you know, uh, 
bringing up some things from the past because I've known Davey since I first got to know him when he was the starting right fielder. Expansion Tampa Bay Devil Rays in 1998. He had been with the White Sox for a number of years for a good chunk of his career and was already living in the Tampa Bay area and signed as a free agent to play for an expansion team. And, you know, we always kidded him about getting the first hit in in franchise history, which, you know, in the box score is a, a single and description's a single to right field. So I said, well, you know, in, in the box score, it's a screaming line drive to right field. <laughs> I said, having been their original radio broadcaster on our broadcast, it was a ground ball up the first baseline that hit the bag and bounced over the first baseman's head. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first hit in franchise history. And so I brought that up as a joke and then talked about, you know, the 19 and 31, uh, which is, you know, something that we'll all never forget. It's on license plates already, 19 and 31. Uh, haven't we all been someplace in our life where we individually felt like, guys, that we were 19 and 31? We were in a hole trying to dig ourselves out. Maybe we needed that that inspirational voice. I, I uh, think, I say, think for hey, just I think for me, that's right now. <laughs> yeah, like, let's have a good show today. That's right. If we have a really good show today and we feel good about it, then maybe tomorrow we could have a really good show. And then if we do that again the next day, maybe like five months from now, we'll have a whole lot of good shows and somebody will give us a raise and, a, you know, a, a, maybe a better gig. Who knows? Charlie, Charlie Slows is our guest. We're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel studio. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. Charlie Slows, of course, the play-by-play voice extraordinaire of the Washington Nationals. Charlie, I want to get back to the 19 and 31. I'm not a play-by-play guy. I'm not a beat reporter. I'm a guy who's made his living on opinions. And I have to be honest, I was one of those guys that thought that Dave Martinez appeared to be at that time uh, almost a dead man walking. Uh, now the injury, the injuries that hit the team early in the year, can't be magnified enough. But what what do you think happened to that team that held them together at that pivotal moment? Because I got to tell you, when they fired the pitching coach, I said, "Well, this is a precursor. I've seen this movie before. In three or four weeks, Davey's going to be out of here too." And then it just went the other way. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, everybody was thinking that and you're hearing that from the outside and the national media and it's creeping in the, the local media, the columnists, and the, you know, the Tom Boswells of the Washington Post were, were pretty much uh, burying Davey. And of course, he admits now to be proven wrong. Yep. Um, you know, but the the only place where that really wasn't a factor was was inside the front office and inside the clubhouse. I mean, you basically had Davey telling players, "Don't listen to this stuff. Don't read this stuff. I'm not getting fired." Uh, you know, he Mike Rizzo had given him the vote of confidence. They felt they needed to make a change of pitching coach. Maybe they thought that was something they could have done last year and tried to go into this year with Derek Lilliquist, but maybe couldn't get him to change some of the ways that he went about things and felt that that was. That was their biggest need uh, at that time. Maybe not so much with the starting pitching, but to try and solve some of the issues with the relievers. Uh, you know, some of it worked. Donovan Sanchez turned his season around after an injury. You know, I, I don't know how much a pitching coach comes in and helps veteran pitchers. Mm-hmm. You know, Scherzer was pitching well. They just they weren't scoring and they weren't winning any of the games that he was pitching. I mean, there were there were mistakes in the field. There were base running mistakes. 
they weren't scoring in the games that he pitched. I mean, but that could all be tied to the other people around the field because your starters were injured. Yeah. I mean, not having Trey Turner for two months was huge. Then going through a period where at the same time you didn't have Rendon, Howie Kendrick, and Ryan Zimmerman, so who's on your infield? You, yeah. you did not have any of your four starting infielders yeah. <laughs> at one point in time there. You know, your outfield stayed pretty much healthy. Adam Eaton didn't have a great first half, had a great second half of the season. And, you know, uh, you know, Robles was still feeling his way as a starter in the major leagues. And then you were dealing with the, you know, basically the disaster of the bullpen when, you know, they signed Rosenthal to be their eighth inning setup man and traded for Bear Claw and thought he'd be their seventh inning setup man. And, you know, those two things blew up early that, that they could not correct. And then you had other people trying to fill those roles. And it took a long time to get that straightened out. And you, in the process, you ended up wearing out Sean Doolittle with all those games where he was getting up a lot, coming into the eighth inning a lot, pitching more than he ever had. By the time mid-August came around, even when the team was playing a whole lot better, he ran out of gas. And, you know, he had a sore knee, and I think confidence level hurt at that point in time. So there were there were a lot of different things that they they worked through to try and solve. But, you know, the big thing was – the attitude with Davey is like, hey, let's clean up. We get our people back. Let's clean up the mistakes we're making defensively and on the base paths. You know, and then, you know, the starting pitching came around. They beat the weak teams in June and early July that they needed to beat to, to you know, basically recover their one loss record from being 12 games under 500. You know, and then held their own against better teams in the second half. Maybe not so much the Braves. They, they didn't play well against them. They had a losing record for the year against the Mets. But they beat everybody else to give themselves a chance to get to the postseason. And so, you know, I just think his day-at-a-time approach is nothing new. Uh, I mean, that was Davey's approach the year before when they struggled. That was his approach out of the gate as manager. If you go back and I was listening to a special that they had on Sirius XM the other night when I was driving uh, a couple hours from Fort Myers uh, back to Tampa, and it was Davey's introductory press conference. And the thing he talked about that day was playing one game at a time, winning that day. Yep. And he goes, if you if you just keep that attitude all the time and, you know, one game at a time, one day at a time, and don't look too far ahead, you'll be in a good place. And so that was his focus from day one. And, you know, I'm sure it's something he learned from other managers not to look too far ahead and probably heard as a player in a 162-game schedule. Um, so I think that and the fact that these guys still managed to have fun even when they were losing and then start to have more fun even when they were winning, I think all those things combined are, are what really worked and kept the, the noise of you know who's getting fired or who should be fired or the, how the GM should break up the team and trade away guys. I mean, I mean Riz laughed at all that because that was never his plan. And you know, just as much as you could say when you got to the World Series, the Astros were the very heavily analytical team and how they went about their approach. And uh, I don't know where cheating comes into analytics, but there's a crossover there too. <laughs> but that, I, I just think that, you know, the Nationals' attitude in a lot of ways from the way they went about it to the way Riz went about it and uh, the way they prepared was, was kind of old school. And there were a lot of people in baseball who were rooting for old school to win. Yeah, I mean, when you think about starting pitching and, and, you know, what they had, that kind of carried the day, especially later on in the year and throughout the postseason. So uh, it was just a, a fabulous run. 
And, uh, you know, we're going to have Bill Latson on a little later on in the show. And I know he did a great Q&A with you for MLB.com uh, this past week. But, uh, Charlie, I got to tell you, you know, you did a fabulous job throughout the year. And uh, you always do. But uh, to, to have a World Series championship and to be able to call one, that had to be the highlight. You know, I think about that when I talk to Davey. And, you know, think about he played for almost a manager a year during his playing career, it seemed like. And he played for he played for Dusty. He played for Lou Pinella and Dusty in consecutive years. Wow. So yeah. he, he played for all types of managers to absorb and then worked under Joe Madden uh, as a coach. You know, and, of course, he finished his career playing for Bobby Cox, who said maybe took more from him than anything else. So, you know, when he got kicked out of game six, when I introduced him up there at the at the podium after the parade, he said, hey, you know, some of those fiery managers you played for, like Lou Pinnell and Bobby Cox, sure they were looking on in the seventh inning the other night when you got the heave-ho. And said, attaboy, Davey, because you don't see guys get thrown out. There's an argument worth getting thrown out of the game anymore. So yeah. it took something that the umpire really said that really didn't have to do with the call with Turner running at first base to really set Davey off and, uh, and, and get him booted out of that game. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought in all aspects, I mean, self-control, everything he did, his demeanor, kept that team from falling apart. Yeah, and yeah. so even even though, you know, we're always from the outside looking in, wondering what's going on during a game, you know, people say, well, why? You know, even in, even in the World Series, you're down 4-1, to one, why didn't he pinch it for Anibal Sanchez when they had a chance to get back in the game? He's one of the worst hitting pitchers. How could you send him to bun in that spot? There's always more going on that we know. And at that point, they already knew Scherzer was in jeopardy of not pitching the next day. And so he couldn't use Joe Ross in relief. So uh, when people question what a manager is doing in a game, we never fully know during the game what decisions are made, why they're made, that you find out after the fact. And you go, oh, well, he really didn't have a move to make there. He had to stay with the starting pitcher. And so, you know, when people are – very critical of a manager and you know why he did this why did he bunt why didn't he bunt he always has more information he's working from than we do watching him charlie last uh, question we've got for you and we appreciate the time today is it harder for a team like the nats to win their first world series or to take a real good shot and run at repeating what do you think I think it's hard to repeat now because teams change so much when, I mean, look, look at where they are right now. You just re-signed Gomes for two years at a lower rate, mm-hmm. but you basically, you, you, you bought out Zimmerman's option. Cabrera's a free agent. Dozier's a free agent. Rendon's a free agent. Strasburg's a free agent. Uh, your outfield is pretty much set with, but you don't have a, other than Turner. You don't have an infield right now. You did solidify catching and you've got to solidify the bullpen. So when you have this many decisions to make, yeah. you're almost right where you were last year. Yeah. When Harper was a free agent, you had all those other spots you needed to fill. Uh, you're, you're in a very similar position with a star player, that two-star players that really could leave and sign elsewhere. It's good that they haven't at this point. But, I, you know, there's a lot of work to do, and I think all that makes it, you know, really hard to repeat. You never know what factors are going to be with injuries and whatnot. But – I don't count it after what we watched in 2019. Yep. You can't discount anything because yep. because of any team. I was looking at something last night, and I don't know how they come up with these percentages. 
at 19 and 31, whatever fan graphs was giving them a 3% chance to make it to the World Series. Wow. 3%. 3%. So if anything was less likely to happen than last year, you would be virtually at zero chance. So you can come up with all these scenarios and say so you have a, a less than zero chance and you can still make it. Charlie. Hey, th- hey in the movie Major League, right? The yeah. Indians were, they were. 12 games under 500 as well in that movie, right? Yep. Yeah, you know, and for every win that they got coming down the stretch, they tore a, tore a piece of that woman's clothing off. <laughs> hey, Charlie, enjoy the rest of your off season. It'll, you'll snap your fingers and you'll be down in uh, Vieira. Well, no. I'm not uh, Vieira. West Palm. Uh, West Palm at yeah. the stadium there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to Vieira. I'm not even going to Vero Beach. But <laughs> I will right, go to West you'll Palm. Be, you'll be at West Palm. All right. Many thanks for joining us today, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it. You Enjoy the rest it. of your you holiday season. All right. There you go.